the best of the week on Relevant Radio. What do you think is the biggest threat to mankind right now? I'd say the biggest threat right now is population collapse, the super low birth rate. Really? Yeah. Over like nuclear war, natural birth Don't we have an overpopulation yeah. problem? Yeah. No, we have an underpopulation problem. Really? Yeah. Why, why do you so say so that? This is the most commonly misunderstood situation. Yeah, they definitely push that we have an mm-hmm. overpopulation Yeah, why is problem. that? No, no, we, I don't know. It's just like, this is a holdover from like, I don't know, the 70s or something, you know. There was a huge baby boom, like where people did have a ton of kids after World War II. But then the birth rate in the U.S. has been below replacement rate since like 71 or 72. I know U.S., but how about other countries? Well, like China's got a huge population collapse problem. Really? Yeah. People have no idea how fast the population is going to collapse. Yeah, that was Elon Musk, and he is so right. The guy's visionary. I, I think he's so right. I was having a conversation about population stability and uh, implosion, and uh, by the end of the century, they're saying 93% of the nations of the world will be, be below replacement rate, and that is a bad portent for the future. Those who are fighting for life, those who are open to life, you're making a difference in ways you do not do not know. You just do not know. And I'm really, really grateful for it. You know, China, I, gosh, I, I, my, I, I think their population declined 2 million. Elon Musk says they lost population. They're down 2 million people. Now, again, they're what, 1.4 billion people? But still, 2 million people, percentage-wise, is not huge. But it's the second year in a row that it's happened, and they don't want to see that happen. They're trying to incentivize people to, to have children. From what the BBC found, the women that they spoke to simply don't want to have kids anymore. They say they can't afford them. When nations become affluent, when you can afford more, have better education, better health care, right? Have plenty of food. They become more selfish and they tend to have less children. And you see this in China. Uh, They're just a reflection of nations all over the planet right now. The stats show that if we continue as we're going here in this country, and really as a planet, within 75 years, 14 Countries across the country have at least, you know, they'll have at least replacement level fertility rates of 2.1. 14, that is, every other country will be below replacement rates. 14 countries will be there, the rest of the planet below. So there are still world leaders pushing for it. The uh, French president back in 2018, uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, was in the U.S. He was there for for a U.N. General Assembly, United Nations General Assembly meeting, and he attended a sideline summit sponsored by the Gates Foundation. And they're all about population control, right? And it was this, this summit was called Gatekeepers, right? This little side summit. And he was concerned there are too many people right now in Africa. And he basically wants women there to get more education because the stats show that the more education a woman has, the fewer children they have, right? Become more educated. You'll see how ridiculous it is. Listen to what he had to say. Listen. I always say, please present me the lady who decided, being perfectly educated, to have seven, eight, nine children. Please present me the young girl who decided to leave school at 10 in order to be married at 12. And this is not teaching African people from New York. A lot of African leaders today, now, dare to have this kind of speech. This is just because a lot of girls were not properly educated. Because people de facto in these countries, but here as well, decided that the rights of these girls were not exactly the same as the rights of the young man. 
which is unacceptable. I'm fine with a lady having seven, eight children if this is her choice after education. This is not the case today. That's why for me education is the main answer, first, to avoid the worst, second, to maximize opportunities in African countries and in the rest of the world, third, to properly monitor demography because it will be a chosen demography. I mean, that's just crazy. I, 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 sh I, I shouldn't even played as much of it as I did because he equates education to a form of birth control. You know, you, if you have an educated woman, any educated woman would not have seven or eight kids, right? He says this, his, his, the key sentence there was, present me the woman who decided being perfectly educated to have seven, eight, or nine children. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is another one. Uh, Catherine uh, Pakalik's going to join me in a moment. She's another one. She's got her PhD. She's a doctor. It didn't end well for the French president, Emmanuel Macron. Mm -mm. Dr. Pakalik, she basically, uh, she, by the way, she teaches uh, economics at the Catholic University of America. Very smart lady, right? Started a hashtag on Twitter. It was called Postcards for Macron. And she put up a picture of her in her Harvard doctoral gown. <laughs> with with six of her eight children, right? So the hashtag got picked up and then it went viral, right? Soon dozens, uh, all these other women started posting pictures of their seven, eight, nine children after having been, quote, perfectly educated, right? And so after that experience, she decided to start talking to other women who, like her, were defying the status quo. They were having more than just one or two children or not choosing to have any at all. Uh, there's a need for them. You know, we, we talked about this ad nauseum. South Korea's fertility rate is 0.7. You know, here in the United States, states like Massachusetts and Oregon, right, 1.5. Replacement rate's 2.1, by the way. You, you see those families with four or more children. Uh, why are they doing it, right? Uh, they're open to life and they are making a difference. It's a delight to have with me today uh, the director of social research, an associate professor at the Bush School of Economics at Catholic University, Dr. Catherine Pakalik. Doctor, welcome. Thank you for being here. Love talking to you, and I'm so grateful for your witness to life. Oh, you're welcome. It's such a pleasure. Well, such you pleasure. teach microeconomics, if I am correct. Mm -hmm. That might sound like mm -hmm. uh, an obvious question, but yeah. how much does the family impact the economic life of a country? Because, you know, if you've got Macron over there, thinking it's ridiculous and, you know, we're overpopulated and, you know, they want to reduce population, not increase it. How does family play a role in the, the economy of any country? Right. Well, I like to say there's no more economic question than where people come from. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, right, for a long time, the Western countries, France being no exception, just taking it for granted that people will come from somewhere. There'll be, there'll be people. And I think there's been also a smugness as the West um, has adjusted to that kind of higher standard of living that they benefited from their own population growth in the 19th century, which was made possible by a, a great robust economy. That was great. These countries grew. And, and then there was this smugness where they thought, well, we'll just import people from other parts of the world as we start to slow down and we don't have to do this. So, so yeah, how does the family impact? You got to have, you got to have people if you want to have economic growth, right? So people have to provide goods and services and they do so to succor their own families and, 
so there's no chance for economic prosperity without people. I, I often think about Paul Ehrlich and he, the author of you know the yeah. population bomb. Oh, right. Yeah. And you know, yeah. there's not going to be enough food to feed people. You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. What have we seen from the 1970s forward? I mean, yeah. if God. One of the great gifts of God is our, our intellect and technology. Mm-hmm. We could feed the world many times over today, right? With the technologies, right. the fertilization, the equipment, the things that we we now have. So yeah, if you're open, my grandmother always would say to me, she says, Drew, because I had my kids. I mean, I have nowhere near your kids. And by the way, you um, what, 15 kids? Is that Am I correct in my recollection? Um, of- yeah, we're really blessed. My, my I, I married a widower, and so we together we raised his children, and then we we had eight together. Yeah, so mm-hmm. your, your number's fifteen, though, right? I had five. I feel small next to you, right? But I had them one right after the other, right? They were about a year, year and a half apart. They were coming pretty quick. Yeah, and I I got a little nervous. You know, I'm a father. I had to try yeah. to provide. And yeah. my grandmother yeah. once said to me, she says, you know, for every child God gives you, He'll give you a loaf of bread, yeah. meaning that God will provide. Yeah. And His providence yeah. has been pretty amazing. I'm sure you saw that in your own life. Yeah. Oh my goodness. In my own, in my own life in spades, there's no promise, right? I mean, this is like how it works. There's no promise that God will make things easy for us, but there is a promise that kind of like with his grace, things will work out, right? Things will work out. It's been true in my life and it was true for all the people I ended up talking to, you know, all around the, the country. And I, I guess I would like to say that they, they said something like the wisdom of having children proves itself in the long run that, you yeah, know, that so it true. looks impossible in the short run, but it, it proves itself in the long run. I know you're writing a book, too. It's not out yet, too. What's the title of that, by the way? And, uh, it's called Hannah's Children, the story of the women quietly defying the birth dearth. Um, yeah, so, Hannah is the biblical Hannah. You know, this is a tough book to write uh, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, if you profile a lot of women with a lot of children, you get this question, like, are you are you out swinging for people to have 10 kids? You, you think that's the only valuable way to live? Right. Um, what are you interested in here? You know, right? And I, so I worked really hard to think, like, what is this about? This, what is this book about? What What is it? mean to talk about people who are open to life, open to having children. Because none of the people I talked to said they set out to have five or 10. And like you said, you you know, you got the children God sent you. And at some point it came to me, you know, it called inspiration. The biblical Hannah is, is somebody who represents this idea of entrusting your family to God's providence and trusting your motherhood to, to God's providence. And so we know, we know Hannah, she's the one who goes and prays to be uh, relieved from being barren. And then God sends her Samuel, and it's such a beautiful story. And she brings Samuel back to the temple, and she gives him back. And any mother who reads this is, is sort of heartbroken at the thought that she's leaving Samuel. And what almost none of us know, and I didn't know until I wrote this book, that uh, that the priest takes pity on her, and he prays to God, and he says, you know, we've got to reward this woman for her faith, bringing Samuel back. Her most precious possession is Samuel. And God sends her five more children. Wow. Astonishing. So That's those are Hannah's story. children are the children that are born not just of her of her plea to have children at all, but of her faith in God that God would provide for her. And it's just a beautiful story. So to me, the heart of the biblical Hannah, what she stood for, that's really the thing I was after. I wanted to profile that. That's, I think, the, the spirit of both just devotion to God, trust in His providence, like all those things, yeah. being open to life and being open to His will, even if it's not going to be more children. So... God is good. Let's grab a few calls for you. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Agnes is in Chicago. Hi, Agnes. Thanks for joining us. You're on the air with Dr. Catherine Fakolik. Hello there. I was blessed with nine children. Oh wow! And mm. I lost. I, there were three misses in between, but I was blessed mm. with nine. And people used to say, "How can you dare on mm. one income to have nine children?" I said. 
Well, every time I got pregnant, my husband got a promotion and a raise. It was enough <laughs> to cover the next kid. So wow. we figured mm-hmm. we were doing what God wanted. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a great story. Agnes, yeah. th- thank you so much for calling. I love that. For every child that she had, her husband got a promotion or a raise. W- w- what have you seen, doctor? Did you see the hand of God's providence? And you know, what are some of the challenges of raising yeah. 15 kids? We raised the children that we had, for the most part, um, before I even started working. I was a graduate student most of that time, and my husband's a philosopher, so, you know, that doesn't go along with a big paycheck, but I don't know. I mean, it seems like, you know, when we needed to, we, you know, we found hand-me-downs and used things, yep. and we shot, you know, secondhand, and we drove used cars, and yep. I don't know. It, it seemed like it always worked out, um, and I always just ask myself the question, would I rather have the next child or you know, nicer car. And I, like, for me, at least the answer was always like, you know, I'd, I'd rather just try it for the next child, you know, like it just seems better. But um, yeah, it's mysterious how, how God provides. Yeah, right? I, I always feel bad because, you know, I, I think it's fear or maybe a lack of trust in God that causes a lot of women. You might have two kids or three kids yeah. and four kids. Like I, I know yeah. a lot of, I've got some nieces and nephews and people who, after they have right. X amount of kids, they they're like, oh, I can't afford it anymore. I don't want it anymore, you know? And I know yeah. people who have had tubal ligations or vasectomies because they think, oh, yeah. if we have another child, what are we going to do? And there's probably people listening right now. There's probably a man or a woman right now who's thinking about having a vasectomy or a tubal ligation, having the tube side. And right. they're saying, because we just can't have another one. We don't have the room. Yeah. We don't have the car. We don't yeah. have the finances. I think it's rooted in lack of trust in God. Yeah. You know, and, but you know, how do you, how do you rise above that? I mean, uh, what advice right. should you give to somebody who's saying, you don't know my situation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too, you know, you see it like you're describing the people who are ready to stop. Um, but I also, also want to say like with a, with the Catholic audience, you see this in young people getting married, they're getting married and God bless them. They get married. And then they say, we got to wait for two or three yeah. or oh, more yeah. years until we have these numbers of things. And I think it's, there's some, there's a job to be done there of just kind of spreading this this kind of good news. Like, you know, you can put four kids in one bedroom. Like I've done that, you know, <laughs> lots of times that probably Agnes did too. And you can put five or six in one bedroom, but actually your kids love that. Like those yeah. are gifts. So part of the job to be done here is actually taking the stories of women, like your caller Agnes, um, and, and really elevating them to the public conversation for so long. We viewed their stories as sort of not relevant or important for the, the future of this country. And I just think that's been a mistake. And so, like the thing that gives me the most excitement here is to take her story and put it out and say, actually, maybe Agnes's story is the most important thing we can listen yeah. to right now. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Final thoughts before I let you go. You know, Emmanuel Macron made that comment. Your thing went viral. What do you make of educated women having children? <laughs> well, I think I think it's actually the future, and I think that telling the good news of having children is yeah. something that we could do. It's how the gospel spread in the early days and how it's going to spread today, right? So yeah. we, this is roll up our sleeves and tell the good news. It's amazing how off point he was on that. You know, I saw his logic, right? but it was a little, a little flawed. Hey, <laughs> Catherine, thanks. Great. Have a great one. Thanks a lot, Drew. Appreciate so it. Much. We'll talk Bye. soon. Hey, this episode of the Drew Mariani Show is on the Relevant Radio app. The Relevant Radio app is completely free, and it's updated daily with fresh articles, podcasts, and prayers. So don't delay. Download the app today. Thanks for listening.